Welcome to Wednesday Night at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you've joined us. We want to talk, I want to talk tonight. By the way, Pastor and the bunch that he took to Israel are uh, coming back. He'll be here Sunday. Rejoice. It's going to be okay. He'll be back. If you don't like what you heard last Wednesday and this past Sunday morning and tonight, don't worry. It's all going to be okay come Sunday. We're glad that you're here tonight. Take a look at uh, Ephesians 5 with me. I want to talk to you just very briefly about redeeming the time. Wednesday night is usually a Bible study night, and we just usually go through a book or a chapter of the Bible or something like that. But I, uh, I, I felt that I wanted to share something with you tonight. And I hope that it goes without saying that I have a pastor's love, a shepherd's love for everybody in this room. And I may, without meaning to, I may step on a few toes tonight. So will you love me anyway as I love you? Sometimes we just need to hear stuff like that. And, and uh, I'll simply say this. I'm not preaching to anyone in particular tonight. But if the shoe fits, Ephesians 5.15, we want to talk about redeeming the time, an antidote to regret. Ephesians 5. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. And instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts, just like we did tonight. And give thanks for everything that God the, uh, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's something that jumps out at me when I read that verse, and it's the phrase... In the King James, it says, redeem the time because the days are evil. Or in the, in the one that we read tonight, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Not opportunity for evil, but opportunity to do things for the Lord. Make the most of every opportunity that you have. We've had a lot of people uh, uh, die, go to be with the Lord in our congregation over the last year. And we've preached a lot of funerals. And, and I can't help but think as I reflect on the lives of other people, I, I start to reflect on mine. You know, what will they say about me when I'm gone? And, 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 and am I facing whenever that day comes for me? Am I, do I have any regrets? Friends, I have a pile of regrets. How about you? Now, understand me. I don't, I don't live in agony over those regrets. They don't weigh me down. I'm forgiven. Everything that I regret is under the blood of Jesus. You too. But regret is simply those things we wish that we had done or the things that we wish we hadn't done and we regret that we can't go back in time and change those things. What's the antidote for that? Well, I'm going to tell you at the start of this and then I'm going to tell you again at the end of this. You can't go back and undo the things that you regret. But regret is a gift It's a prompt to us to remind us of what we shouldn't do the next time we have the opportunity or what we need to do the next time we have the opportunity because we didn't do it or we did do it the last time. It's a prompt for us to do exactly what what verse 16 says, to make the most of every opportunity in the midst of an evil time and an evil day. King James Version says of chapter 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What time is it talking about? It's talking about the time afforded to you to do the work of God. When you come to the end of your life, 
Will you have regrets that you didn't witness to certain people? Will you have regrets that you should have done certain things or given certain things or should have been Jesus in different ways? We have regrets when your life is done. (laughs) One honest person in this room. Thank you. Yes, we do. But here's the thing. Because of the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness that he brings to us, we don't have to live under the shame of that regret, but we should use it to propel us to make the most of the time and the opportunity that we do have. Bam, that's that's my sermon in a nutshell. But as you can see in your notes, we have like 123 verses to go through. So let's, let's, let's go through this. Because Paul reiterated this statement a little later in Colossians 4. Live wisely among those who are not believers. What does that mean? Don't do what they do. Don't be stupid like them. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. So how do we redeem the time? How do we make the most of every opportunity that God gives us? I'm glad that you asked that question. And I have a list here that we'll go through as as quickly as we can tonight. Uh, List of um, issue number one. Jesus only had three and a half years once he started his public ministry to do everything he was going to do. That's all he had. It wasn't a whole lot of time. And what did he do during those times? Did he build big buildings? Did he go out and draw? He did draw big crowds, but did he, did he try and collect all the offerings he could and do all those things? No. The Bible tells us very plainly that Jesus prayed often. Now, I want to give you some context of what often means in his life, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm a little bit, as I look at this list, I'm surprised at how much the Bible says that Jesus prayed, because Jesus, even though he only had three and a half years, guys, he's God. Why would he need to pray? And yet, the Bible says that he prayed often. Luke 5 and he prayed in all sorts of different instances. Luke 5, then Jesus instructed the leper that he had healed not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go, uh, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, The report of his power spread even faster. He tried to get the guy not to talk about it, but it got out and and it was spreading even faster. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. He was sought after. He could gather a crowd. He had it made. Who wouldn't want to do that? Why wouldn't you look at that as success? But take a look at what it says in the next sentence, verse 16. But in spite of that, in spite of the crowds, in spite of the fame, in spite of the needs, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness, to lonely places, it translates in other places, isolated places. He withdrew for prayer. He could have spent all day long with the masses, let alone the 12, but he would withdraw to pray. It doesn't say that he wanted to get away from the love of the people. It doesn't say he didn't want to minister to him, but it says he got away to pray. See, praying doesn't just give us things. It fills our emotional and spiritual bank with what we're going to need. It opens us to the move of God and the power of God in our life and provides a foundation for the ministry that God wants to do through every single one of us. Ephesians 4 says, my job, pastor's job, other people's job, is to equip you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry. And one of the ways that you do it, in fact, you can't do it without it, is through prayer. 
Let me put, let me put verse 16 in slow motion. First word is but. It means all those other things. He had all these crowds and they had needs and they came to see him. But in spite of legitimate demands on his time, in spite of the fact that people really did need him, in spite of the fact that the disciples needed training, it says Jesus often, which means he prioritized, frequently withdrew, got away from people, went to the wilderness, away from distractions, away from all of the things that would take him away from what was important. And what was important? Prayer. How many of you, don't raise your hand. I just want to ask you to think about this. How many of you have regrets that you haven't spent as much time in prayer as you should? How many of you regret that as a result of that, the, the power of God and the move of God and all the things that come along with that foundational blessing of prayer in our lives could have been yours? Don't live in guilt about that. Don't live in agony about that. Let it be a prompt to you to remember that prayer is important. It's important. Why? Because prayer is the underpinning of the movement of God. If I don't move quickly here, we're gonna, this is all we're going to talk about tonight. Maybe that's okay because it's important. But let me show you how and when it was important to Jesus. There's a bunch of, bunch of verses here, but we're going we're gonna to fly through them so you'll get it. That in many instances, for many reasons, under many circumstances, Jesus prayed. He valued pray, prayer. First of all, he prayed for different things on different occasions. He prayed before he raised Lazarus. He prayed. John eleven forty one. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, he's praying here. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Prayer precedes power, and it also precedes faith. And Jesus knew it, and he prayed it. Number two, he prayed because the disciples had accepted his message when other people hadn't. Matthew 11, at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, but for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. One of the most famous times that we know that Jesus prayed was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew he was about to die, and he prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for the world. He prayed for you and me before something so critical. He was about to die. He prayed. He's God. And he prayed. He prayed after healing the people the night before and just before he was going to preach in Galilee. Mark 1.32, that evening after sunset, many sick people and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus, and the whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons, and guess what he did after that? Verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, he got up and went to an isolated place to pray. Folks, do you think prayer was important to Jesus? And if it was important to Jesus, don't you think it ought to be important to us? More important than we make it? I think so. He, he prayed at his baptism, Luke 3.21. One day the crowds were being baptized. Jesus himself was, be, be, was baptized. And when he was praying, the heavens opened. Prayed all the time. He prayed before he walked on water, Matthew 14. After sending the disciples home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. You don't have those verses, but after that, he walked on water. He met them in the boat. He prayed before he chose the 12. Now, 
wait a minute, Jesus didn't know what to do, so he had to pray about it? He prayed about it because it was important. Luke 6, one day, soon afterward, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called them together and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. He prayed before Peter's declaration of his lordship. Luke 9, 18, Jesus saw the crowd, uh, Jesus left the crowd to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ sent from God. All that happened at a time when Jesus had gone off to pray alone. He prayed before his transfiguration. Luke 9, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. While he was praying, he's God, but he prayed. He prayed before teaching the disciples how to pray. Luke 11, 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus taught them because Jesus valued and understood the power of prayer. And he prayed before Peter's denial, Luke 22. But I have pleaded in prayer for you. I've pleaded in prayer for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail you. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brother. Notice he didn't pray that Peter wouldn't fail. He prayed that Peter would return. Jesus prayed. And if we want to be able to, if, if, if we want to not live in regret, if we want the flow of God, the power of God, the move of God in our lives, guess what we got to do, friends? Somebody say it. Pray. So let me ask you tonight, without condemning you, are you praying enough? Are you praying like Jesus did? Are you making prayer communion with God a regular part off and on all day during your life? Could you do more than you do? One of the ways that we do this, one of the ways that we walk through this is we pray and spend time in prayer. Just pray, just get started. Let me give you a couple of quick, I'll give you a commercial here. A couple of opportunities for prayer that happen every week here at Faith Assembly. Friday at two o'clock in the chapel across the street, we gather and we pray. You're invited if you're able to be there. Uh, Ladies have a a Thrive prayer time. The ladies who went to Thrive, but they'll welcome any ladies who want to come. They pray on the first Tuesday uh, of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. And guess what? They walked through this room last night and prayed over every seat. They prayed over the seat that you're sitting in. They took the time to pray. We have pre-service prayer. Don't know if you've noticed, 15 minutes before every service. And I'm not going to browbeat you here. (laughs) I'm going to invite you. Because maybe some of you don't know that the people, this is not a special group that gathers up here before each service. It's just people who want to ask God to work in their lives and work in the lives of the people here. Could you do that? Would you... Do you, could you value prayer enough to come and pray for the people who are going to come and for the pray, people who can't come and just spend time in the Lord's presence? I believe that we could see an even greater move of God if we would pave the way with our prayers. And I invite you, I'm going to come just this shy of begging you to join us 15 minutes before each service in this place. Will you prayerfully consider doing that? 
Thank you. I didn't hear many yeses, but I know that you will. So here's the application. Don't regret not praying. Just do it. Number two, get to work. John 9, 4. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming. That's figurative. That's metaphorical. The night, the darkness is about to come on this earth. The darkness is coming and no one will be able to work. So many of us tell God all the great things we're going to do and then we don't do them. And I want to encourage you tonight to get to work. Matthew 21. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told his older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. But later he changed his mind and went away. And the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? And they all replied, the first. The moral of the story is, it's not what you say you're going to do, it's what you do. Don't just say you're going to do it, do it. Take advantage of the opportunities that you have. Number three, believe that it's not too late. It's not too late. Regret can come when we've made, not made the best uh, use of our time and opportunity, and it's made worse when we feel like it's too late. Redeeming the time, making use of the time, means you're t- making use of the time that you have now. Not the time that you lost, not the time that's behind you, but the time that lies ahead of you, the time today. You have to believe that it's not too late. Now, let's be real honest here. The vast majority of people in this room are older than 16 years old, right? And I've been around this world long enough to know that I can't do the things I used to do. And some of you outrank me by a few years and you can't do the things you used to do. But friends, it's not too late. It's not too late. We can redeem the time. We, can, we, can, we don't have to have regret. Every day that you have breath is a day that you can pray or do or witness or whatever. The days are growing short and the time is growing short. We have to believe that it's not too late. God will reward you. Take a look at Matthew 20. That evening he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they had received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people only worked an hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you've paid us, and we've worked all day in the scorching heat. And he answered one of them and said, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? Friends, here's the moral of the story. It's never too late to get started in the master's vineyard. Never. Maybe you've taken a break, or maybe you've never jumped right in. Maybe you have kind of allowed the cares of this world to keep you from serving God. It's not too late. It's not too late. We can redeem the time. We can make the time back because the days are evil. But we can't do it by doing nothing. We can redeem the time if we believe that it's not too late. And then we don't have to live in the regret that we live in. How many of you have regret for all the things you didn't do for the Lord so far? I'm raising my hand. In fact, here's what I'll do for you. I'll raise this foot 
and this hand, and this hand too, after it. Seriously, friends, God has given me far more time in my life than I have used effectively for him. And maybe you won't say it, but I know you are, you are in the same boat as I am. So let's stop. Let's, let's begin today to use the time that God has given to us to, to accomplish something for him, redeeming the time, using it, taking the time, and turning it into something. Remember how you used to redeem green stamps? Anybody remember S&H green stamps and things like that, right? You'd, you'd stick, I used to love, I don't know what was wrong with me as a child, but I loved the job of licking these big squares of stamps and sticking them on the page. And, you know, my mom would let me. I, I, I love doing that. And you could take those stamps and you could use them and you re- redeem them for something else, an electric frying pan or a potholder or whatever it was that we would get. The Bible says we can redeem the time. We can exchange our time for things of value, redeeming the time so that we don't regret the time we gave up and can no longer get back. How do you redeem time? You can't get it back. You redeem time by stepping into the present and using it effectively for the work of God. We forget what lies behind and believe that it's not too late. Number four, Win souls while you can. Proverbs 11.30. The seeds of good deeds, the fruit of righteousness becomes a tree of life. A wise person saves lives. He who wins souls is wise. I think, let's just be honest, because there was a, you know, I've been, I've, been, uh, I've been a believer since I was uh, uh, six years old. Now, if you ask me, how many years between age six and my current year, how many souls I've won to the Lord? Oh, I've won some. Nowhere near, nowhere near what 50 some odd years of living for the Lord should have netted me. Most of us fail in that regard. But friends, let me tell you something. We have an opportunity to win souls while we still can. I can't undo, I, I, I have to tell you, one of the regrets in my life, I, I look back to my life, especially as a kid, you know, a teenager and whatever. Now, I have friends from high school that I should have been a better witness to. And in my timidity or whatever, I, I never told them about Jesus. I regret that. And so do you. You regret those things too, right? So here's the thing. We can live in our regret and we can feel guilty and we can feel bad. Or we can say, you know what? With the help of the Lord, I'm going to change my life and their life now. I'm going to witness to them. In fact, some of those people I can't because they've died. Guys, I I come from a a graduating class of 400 high school students, and we've already had almost 100 of them die. Too late, Steve. You might have been a little bit of a witness back in those days, but time's up for them. I wonder how many people in your life will you regret that you didn't take the opportunity to win souls while you can. 2 Corinthians 5.18, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Folks, you have a wonderful message that God, we used to say it back in the 60s, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Seems a bit trite now, but it's the, it's the gospel truth, quite literally. God 
doesn't want anybody to perish. And, and we have this wonderful opportunity through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help bring people to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had the, uh, the joy of doing that before, but there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. With what time you have left in your life, ask God to bring somebody to you. Prepare their heart, and you get to deliver the word to them. You, get to, you can stumble, you can fail, because the Holy Spirit does the word. Just do your best and learn the absolute joy of snatching somebody from the jaws of hell. There's nothing like it. And it's one of the privileges and the great joys that God gives us. Win souls while you can. 1 Peter 3.15. Instead, you must worship Christ as your Lord instead of me. And if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. How many of you could explain to somebody your hope as a believer? My hope is that my sins are forgiven. My hope is that Jesus has prepared a place for me. My hope is that uh, whoever wants to come may come. My hope is that all the verses that you've learned and you've heard over and over and over again, you, you've got things in you that the Holy Spirit can use and quicken, and you can lead somebody to Jesus. And if you've never done that before, I want to tell you, it's a kick. I remember the first time I led somebody to Jesus, and I told them, you know, the plan of salvation. I'm sure I stumbled around. I didn't do really well. And so then I got to the ask. You know, in sales, we call it the ask. I got to the ask, you know, well, would you, would you like to make Jesus the Lord of your life? And I, yeah. And I was so dumbfounded, I said, I remember, you would? <laughs> We're not the ones who do it. It's the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who does it through us. Win souls while you can. The Bible says he who wins souls is wise. We don't do it, though. We do it by allowing the power of the Holy Spirit to do it through us. Number five, decide to forgive. One of the ways to redeem the time, forgiveness undoes all of the wasted time, all of the hurt, and all of the pain of the past. Mark eleven twenty five. when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Ephesians 4, 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, and instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Guys, I want to tell you something. And I just want to share it from a, from a pastor's heart. I grieve, I grieve that there are people that we know, people that you know, maybe you're one of them, and you've received so much grace from God, but you don't know how to give it. It's a gift that can come to you from the power of the Holy Spirit if you will let him do it. Get rid of all of your bitterness and learn to forgive. Decide to forgive just like Christ forgave you. <clears throat> Unforgiven offense between people puts a wall between people. But forgiveness opens us to be able to love one another and minister to one another and, and walk together. And I beg you, I beg you tonight in the name of Jesus, <clears throat> and you know who you are, if there are problems between you and another believer, please, please give up your pride. Please recognize that you need to give the same kind of forgiveness that's been given to you by Jesus. And, and forgive, and forgive, and walk on in brotherhood and in sisterhood. Ephesians 4.31 tells us that we need to get rid of all of these things and instead be kind to each other and forgive one another. Brothers and sisters, I beg you tonight, 
for your sake as well as theirs, that whoever you have a grudge against, that you will make, you will make it your job to forgive them. Here's what you do, because I know this is hard. Decision is a, is a forgiveness is a decision. You decide to forgive. Forgiveness means I give up my right to get even with you. You give that up and you forgive those people. You don't even necessarily have to tell them that they're forgiven. You just forgive them. In fact, here's what I do when I forgive people. I just, between me and God, I say, God, I give up my right to get angry at and to get even with so-and-so for what they did. I give it to you and I forgive in Jesus' name. And 20 seconds later, when my flesh rises up and says, you are so stupid, you, that, that's not worth, worthy of forgiveness. You need to... Hey, Steve, we forgave that in Jesus' name. And sometimes I have to say that to Steve 50 times before Steve catches on and we move on. But forgiveness is, a, is an event, but it's a process. And we need to decide to forgive so that we can go on, so that we can, can tear down the walls that are between us. I beg you, I beg you, if there are people in your life that it's been hard for you to forgive and you, you know you need to forgive them and you know that, that God requires you to forgive them just like he's forgiven you, I beg you to find the help of the Holy Spirit and be reconciled and forgive and walk in the freedom that comes and not walking in unforgiveness. Guys, I don't know how else to tell you that. It's, it will set you free. It will, it will change your life. Proverbs 17, 9, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it only separates close friends. We can't afford to live with walls between us. We can't. So forgive. Number six, I'm out of time. I'm going to go really quick. Bear and carry someone else's burden. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. It's not a suggestion, brothers and sisters. It's a command. Bear one another's burdens. You got burdens in your life, my job is to bear them with you, to walk them with you. Our job together is to walk through them together. It's a command. To truly carry someone else's burden will require a change in your heart and in your actions in your life. But that's what we're asked and requested and required to do. Listen to the words of Paul talking about his own struggle with sin as a Christian. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do, I don't do, but what I hate, I do. What, what Paul says is, is the struggle that's inside of us is real and it's powerful. Everyone struggles. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Everybody has the same temptations, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with that temptation, we'll also make a way of escape so you can bear it. Guys, what hope we have in the midst of temptation. And because we can take care of ours, we can bear other people's burdens and help them walk through their issues with them. Find somebody to help bear their burdens. Number seven, reprioritize your life by shifting your focus. Focus on the things that can't be seen, the things of Jesus. I'm gonna trip through this because I'm way over time already. Second Corinthians 4, don't look at the troubles you can see now. Rather, fix your gaze on things that can't be seen for the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. What joy we are gonna have when we get to heaven and find 
the results of, of the things that we've prayed for. See people saved because we supported missionaries that led them to Jesus. And we reprioritize our life by shifting our focus to the lost. And finally, entertain regret only as a reminder and a prompt that it's meant to be, to remind you and inspire you to do differently the next time. 2 Corinthians 7, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Here's Here's the last word on regret. Regret is as much a gift to you as it is a problem for you. Because if you will use your regret... You regret the things that you've done, the sin that you've done. It will help you to be sure to avoid it in the future, to make amends and to do the things that you need to do, to go to God and ask for forgiveness. Regret is a gift, friends, but not if you let it hound you and be a millstone around your neck. Its purpose is to lead you to Jesus so that Jesus can can heal you and forgive you and change your life. How do we redeem the time? We redeem the time, not go by going back in time. You can't do that. We redeem the time by making sure that the things that we have learned and the lessons that we have needed help us to live rightly in the future so that the the time that lies ahead of us is productive, is godly, and accomplishes the things in our lives that God wants us to do. Tonight, will you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you that we are forgiven. I thank you that all the mistakes that we've made, all the dumb things that we've done are behind us as we confess them to you and ask for and receive your forgiveness. But tonight, what I ask you for, Lord, is that all of those things would simply serve as a reminder of the great, wonderful life that lies ahead of us as we commit those kinds of things to you as we walk in your forgiveness and as we use them as prompts to seek you, to do your will, and to live your way. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live under a load of guilt, but we can live in the joy of the Lord as we redeem the time and make it yours and make our actions yours. God, forgive us for the mistakes we've made, but I thank you that in forgiving us, You leave those behind us so that we can walk forward today in newness of life with a new chance and new opportunities and the joy of the Lord for the journey. God, help us to have that sink in. Help us to share that with one another as we go from this place tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Thanks for hanging in there with me tonight. Thank you for joining us for tonight's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. We also gather on Sunday mornings at 8.15 and 10.45 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next time for Wednesday night at Faith Assembly. Faith Assembly's Wednesday night is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.